All right, you got to remember this is the early 1980s, not when we're recording this, when this all started. And, <laughs> yeah, um, right. and uh, so in the early 1980s, there was a lot of us who had perms. And I'm not kidding. I think that partially of me moving into real estate was from all the chemicals leaking into my brain from having the perm, perms done all the time. <laughs> Welcome to Secrets of Success podcast. I'm Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, this week I had a chance to, one of my hobbies is to ride motorcycle. So I had a chance to do a long ride, six, seven, eight hours. And it's funny, everybody says, why would you do it? Is It's interesting. You know, all of us that are busy in jobs or also uh, have our own businesses, we can get wrapped up in the business actually owning us. And you'll hear that from our guest today, Don Campbell. But one of the things I really, really enjoyed was here I'm on this motorcycle for six or seven hours uh, doing uh, 400, 500 kilometers, and it was just very enjoyable. There's all kinds of research about getting into nature, getting out into the wild, getting into the mountains, streams, which all of this in lakes which are part of where I was riding to Whistler, British Columbia, is that I just encourage you that you would have a recreation, that you would take time off. You mean, why are we doing all of this? Are we doing this so that the business is serving us or are we serving the business? So just a moment, just an idea, just something to consider that you would be out there doing recreation, doing things that really soothe your soul, that you enjoy outside of just working. One of the things that we're doing here at CRG is to give you a thing called inspirational moments. So we have one that's coming up in this show around simplicity. Uh, subscribe to inspirational moments and then every week we'll give you information to equip you to be more effective as an individual, as a leader, as a family member, as a friend, whatever the case might be. And so on the other one is, is that if you can share that with other people to encourage them and to refer others to the work that we're doing so that we can help others to live, lead, and work on purpose. In my hand is a new research study talking about simplicity and how important it is, but also the impact of not having a simple life on our environment. You know, I, I really do believe that we need to take care of our globe and do the best that we can. And the interesting thing about this research, can you guess about what the number one item that is contributing to our landfills today? And actually what that is, is fashion. In 1930, the average amount of, I'm gonna call it sets of clothing or outfits that women had was nine. It's now in 2017, moving to 2018, over 30. And so we have 65 to 100 pounds per person going into landfill because of all these outfits. Now there was linked to this study was when you go and you talk to teenage girls, not boys, but girls, do you know what their number one activity was? They said their most important or their, uh, the activity they liked doing most, it was shopping. 93% of them said that shopping was their number one activity. So my encouragement is, it's as you go forward, is that we don't need to have all of these different clothes, all this clothing. There was a, a gentleman in Inc. Magazine just this month said, you know, I wore the same outfit to work for an entire month and nobody said anything. He said, then I started to ask them, they says, we didn't even notice. So a lot of times we're worried about what other people think or say, yes, we want to dress nice. We want to dress sharp. But do we need to create all this confusion? I remember one of the burdens for individuals as it links to the study was deciding what am I going to wear today? And so, you know, dress sharp, be sharp, but be aware that as we get caught up into this fashion consumerism world, that it actually is a burden to our environment, but also to us emotionally and mentally. Let's not make shopping the number one activity that we want to do. Maybe hanging out with our friends, contributing to other people's lives is way easier than doing that. Well, each week we want to have guests that really enlighten you, help you, share their journey. And I'm privileged 
today as having a friend of mine as a guest who has done very, very well for himself. Thank you very much. He's a best-selling author. Uh, really, he's just managing, giving things away. He's going to talk about his Habitat for Humanity project that he does as well. So I'd like you to welcome uh, really somebody who is an expert in real estate, but also in life, uh, Don Campbell to the show. Don, Don, thanks for joining us today. What a pleasure. Thank you. And I, I sure hope I can live up to that introduction. Whew. Well, hey, this is short. I mean, that is like two lines out of your 75-page uh, intro that you sent to me. <laughs> you know, it's a pick-and-choose thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, Don, you know, for individuals who don't uh, know who you are, I mean, you are an expert in the field of real estate and real estate investment in Canada. And even though uh, we have lots of listeners from around the world. We really want to go around the general uh, success principles. But Don, I mean, just give us a little bit of background about how did you get into, first of all, being an investor. You know, way back when, you know, here you're a young young buck, and all of a sudden you take the risk to get into investment. What was sort of your journey to getting into real estate in the first place? All right, you got to remember this is the early 1980s, not when we're recording this, when this all started. And, <laughs> yeah, um, right. and uh, so in the early 1980s, there was a lot of us who had perms. And I'm not kidding. I think that partially of me moving into real estate was from all the chemicals leaking into my brain from having the perm, perms done all the time. <laughs> but uh, that's very facetiously. But um, it, it actually started... Um, at a, watching a hockey game, ice hockey game on TV. And um, my friend and I were sitting on those big beanbag chairs that were super cool back then. Of and course. friend's father comes over and starts randomly talking about real estate and real estate development. You've got to remember that, that I, I don't know, what was I, grade 12 maybe, um, and when this conversation had. I'd never heard anything like this before. You know, I had a a successful dad with a successful job and he was waiting for his watch and his retirement. And I thought that's, mm. that was the way that life was run. And, um, I hear this and this kind of just sparked something that was obviously sitting in the back of my brain at some point. And, uh, from that took a couple of years said, well, you know, this is the way to go. Took a risk. Uh, bought a property, 7622 Ider Street, Mission, British Columbia. So here's like a newbie out of high school. What did you do to have enough courage to step into this or even have the money to buy it? Well, here's the reality is that I had the greatest job on earth. I was working part-time at Sears <laughs> in their discount center. So, you know, they discount the product and they discount the salaries. But the... We found a way to do it. It was through a joint venture with my buddy, uh, mm -hmm. who was also on the beanbag chairs. And, um, and we pooled our funds and were able to find a place that was affordable. Was it the, in the exact right spot we wanted to live? No. Was it the perfect house? No. Um, but did it get us on the ladder and take the risk? Uh, yes, it did. Did it work out as well as it could have? You know, it, it probably could have been better because we didn't know the economic fundamentals. We didn't know all of the things that I know now, if only. Um, mm. And but the the reality is, is we were so young, and everything seemed so expensive. But you could see that it was going to be more expensive. You know, I think that our mortgage was sixteen and a quarter percent. I remember the eighties. I know there's some people listening who aren't old enough, but sixteen and a quarter percent. Yeah, I was killing it, man. I think I got a 20.25% discount. And, uh, the, 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 so when I see you know, Bank of Canada or the Fed in the U.S. or Bank of England raise their interest rate you know, a quarter of a point all the way up to like three, uh, and people are losing their collective minds around that, I kind of go, people have forgotten history. People have forgotten the journey that the dollar can go on, that the interest rates can go on. And the risks that we took, I am a risk mitigator. That comes from both mom and dad. And uh, I learned how to extrapolate, how to look at things and say, if I pull this string or push this button, how is that going to affect the future? How is that going to, 
What is that going to actually do? Rather than just mm. push the button because now is the time to push the button, the meta- metaphoric button. And so um, from that first property, I said, I think we can do this better. And then many years later, uh, started to get more into this whole thing around real estate because we all go on our journey. We all think the world is too expensive. We all, you know, there, I, have a, I have a very interesting document that I use at the Real Estate Investment Network, and it's called uh, Excuses for Not Investing. And it starts back in, 19, I think, 1919 or 1920. And every single year, there's an amazing excuse not to invest or not to buy something or not to, not to take action every single year. And, um, and I, I'm sure in 2017, there's probably four or five of them. You know, you've, got, you've got enough political discomfort going on around the world. You've got you know, the South Korea, or North Korea, and you've got you know, the inflation and the hurricanes. And so there's always excuses. And my job is to say, are they real or are they not? And so uh, my risk mitigation was all about how do I lower the risk I might get a little bit lower return. I might get higher return. But how do I lower the risk so I can sleep at night? And that's where this whole journey really started to get good and get real. Well, you, so, so you expanded on your real estate holdings after that. What was that journey like where it's, okay, I got one. Now what? It was slow. Um, and that one over there didn't turn out as beautifully. So... Um, I sold my portion to the joint venture partner uh, and so that he, he could own it on his own. And then this whole thing about falling in love and getting married and then moving to Edmonton in the middle of winter, January 2nd. Oh, yeah. What were you thinking? <laughs> that was kind of – oh, and I got a better story than that. I said, that, uh, by the way, honey, what we're doing is the two days after we're married, we're jumping on – a via rail train from Sumas Prairie to go to Edmonton. That's how we're going to get there. That'll be part of our romantic honeymoon. Oh, well, she was, well, she's still with you, right, Don? When we got there, she was barely with me, but when the doors opened at the, uh, and it was minus 40, and where the doors opened at the old CN station, um, it was right at the stairway that goes to outside and that cold wind was blowing down that and we both looked at each other and just went, okay, well, this was an yeah. interesting decision. <laughs> what, what, was, what was driving that decision for you to go there, Don? Uh, I was already there. Um, I, was, I was blessed to be working in aviation at that point, uh, Con Air Aviation, as a matter of fact, and Frontier Helicopters. And, um, and so I was able to uh, transfer there uh, as a problem solver. I got, I got known as a bit of a problem solver back then. And they needed problem solved in Edmonton. I'd never even been to Edmonton before uh, when they offered me that position. And um, I said, let's do this. I'm young once. And uh, I went up there for a while on my own and said, whoa, this is going to be a lot more fun if there's somebody living with me, a lot more warm if someone's living with me as well. And um, so that's, uh, uh, we haven't looked back. We went from there in aviation to uh, another company in aviation, Sky Harbor Aviation. So I was, my whole background was really in uh, aircraft, aircraft parts, um, sourcing, shipping, buying. Well, and you know what? That's not even on your bio as one of the many thousands of things that you've done in your lifetime. Yeah. Well, so so you're in aviation. You're in aviation. You... you um, bought out or had your half bought out as far as that mission property. So then when did you get back into investing or had you already got other properties? Well, what we do know in Canada, well, so far up to this point, is the only real tax shelter in, in, uh, in our country is owning your own home and the equity that grows within it. <laughs> that seems to be changing now. But um, So that, that was our first goal is uh, Connie and I bought, ooh, now you're going to challenge me. What would be that address? Eight nine um, seven. I'm trying to see it. Seven nine eight eight two one three something like that. Uh, but I knew it was 162nd in Edmonton, uh, basement suite, 
uh, so we bought bought the house, rented out the basement suite. That was you know the mortgage helper. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, we were killing it at that point. We got 12.25 percent mortgage, so dropped four percent. Thought we were you were on top of the world. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and lived there for a while, and uh, things were going well at the job. And um, banks love it when you have a job. So we bought oh another tough address. What was that one? It was in um, Lassard, so that's south. It's kind of West Edmonton, just by West Edmonton Mall. And we bought a beautiful house that we thought we would live in there for the rest of our lives, and uh, had rolled equity into that. Got down to eleven point six five, I think it was eleven point five five, and a um, uh, mortgage rate, and uh, and then the world got really comfortable, and at that young of age, 20-something, and not, and, and, and being comfortable is a big mistake. Philosophically, for me, it, it's a big mistake to be comfortable in, in, before your 40s. And um, because that's, that's when you start to see every, a lot of people just plateau. And um, I didn't want to plateau. So you, you recognized you were comfortable, and then sort of in the middle of it, you sort of recognized, um, I'm not. So what was the motivation behind being uncomfortable? Well, you know, I have very good, uh, I've always had very good friends, and um, we had a friend come to stay with us. He, he was putting on a, a conference in Edmonton, and um, best to stay at a friend's house at another darn hotel. And so I can still picture the kitchen, I can still picture the conversation, and um, we thought we were living the dream. I think I was, you know, boy, was that 91 now or 92, something like that. Um, I'm really good at addresses, really crappy at years. And um, the, uh, in the kitchen, we were standing there at breakfast, and I, we were talking about our life and uh, how awesome it is. And looks at me and goes, you're way too young to be comfortable. And I went, are you kidding? And, of course, you, you defend, we all defend where we're at, right? Oh, I can't afford housing in Abbotsford. It's too expensive. You know, there's always, there's always excuses. And I defended it because he was staying for, with us for a few days for all those days. I said, no, this is it, man. Look at this. I even get $500 of spending cash over and above my salary. That's 500 bucks. Are you kidding? You know, that my, my context was so different then. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, you're you're gonna waste you're gonna waste away. Why not throw it all away, come to Vancouver, and we'll start a couple of things, and see how it works out. And of course, both Connie and I had never really heard that type of outlook before. And of course, we defended to our nth degree, as some of the listeners probably have found themselves defending their positions, even though they may know it's not beautiful. Um, the uh, and we decided, we looked at each other and going, okay, this is interesting. It's minus 30 for the 17th day. It was the 17th day in a row that it was minus 30 or colder that year. Oh, joy. And you got to remember, I was driving all the way out to the Edmonton Airport every day and in a car that the uh, throttle froze open once while I was on the freeway and wearing a parka in a car, and, go, and, and, and suddenly the motivation changed. You know what? We're young. We're doing really, really well. We could do really, really well again um, if we needed to fall back, but we need to do this. And that's when we made the big call to come down to, back to Vancouver and start renting in False Creek and figure out what we're going to do next. So you moved and you really, what you're saying is you didn't really have a clear plan as far as what you're going to do next. It just was going to be something. We're going to do an entrepreneurial thing. Now, Connie was working at Airbnb at that point. So um, uh, in the offices at the, in uh, Richmond. So, you know, we had a income and income of some, some level and which kind of provided us at least food on the table. But, uh, we moved from a really big house to a really little condo and uh, took all our stuff with us 
because we weren't thinking. And uh, so it was a, a crowded lifestyle for quite a while as we started to figure out different things that we could do. So what did you, what did you end up transitioning into, Don, uh, after that move back to the coast? Yeah, well, a number of different things. Uh, we tried a publish, to be a uh, publishing house, which did fairly well, but not awesome. Uh, a book uh, remainder redistributor, which was a really cool uh, industry back then, not so much now. And, um, and once again, just kind of struggled along. It didn't find its magic, didn't find its niche. And um, I uh, became a very, very good copywriter. And so I was blessed to be good with words back then. And um, so people would hire me for writing sales copy and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, and I, I did well at that. So I started to teach that a little bit and, and um, started to find my feet underneath me. I was terrible. Oh, my goodness. I was terrible at presenting live and speaking live. But you do it all over now, all around the world. Well, yeah, it's my thing now. And, and, and I still remember in grade nine um, having to give that you know, end-of-the-year speech. It's 20% of your mark. Be, be stressed about this. And, uh, and uh, running out of the room halfway through because I just couldn't handle it. It was just it was too much for whatever was going on in my head. Mm. And now it's my thing. And now I love it and, uh, and can have impact and, and, and. Um, but anyway, back to that. So that's, that's where we found our way. We took a risk. Uh, we had a little bit of a buffer and a little bit of capital, not a lot. Um, and, uh, yeah, and here, and here we are. So when did you get into back into investing in real estate yourself? Uh, around that time, there are lots of different um, presenters, speakers, uh, that would come from the U.S. and Canada and wander through and try and teach real estate. And uh, a couple of them were pretty darn good. And I would go to listen to them all because I understood the value of real estate because that's where a bunch of our equity had shown up and that's where we understood that we wanted to head to. And, um, and that was the spark. And uh, we started to get back into uh, the learning and the understanding and the development of our own systems and watching some experts taking the good, filtering out the bad, and, um, and then started to slowly get back into the market. Interest rates were collapsing, man. We're like down in the nines. So we were, we were yeah, that's from your uh, nearly 20% <laughs> the back in. Well, I recall holding a property in 1980, 82, and it was 22% at that time because the bank told us to keep it floating so it went from 14 to 22 <laughs> so that was uh, stressful times for those of us that are old enough to kind of remember that those times will return they might not be 20 but you know there'll, there'll be moments when the world and the world's economics etc will push interest rates up again mm. and um, that's bound to happen so you know part of my system is uh, is, you know, how do you risk mitigate? What do you do? What is in your control so that when announcements like that happen, and I think this is for anybody who is in business of any level, it's mm -hmm. not just interest rates. It's, and, and, and that trite statement, hey, work in your, on your business, not in your business. Um, everybody goes, yeah, I want to work on my business. But they have no clue what to do. And, um, and it sounds great about working on your business instead of in your business. But most people who have, entrepreneurs and have started out and bumped their way along and started to feel some level of success are the technicians. They're the, the people who are actually doing it. And um, they don't have the talents or, the, or haven't learned the talents about what that means about working on your business. How do you risk mitigate? How many days a week do you sit back and say, I'm not going to fix the cars, I'm not going to do the painting, I'm not going to do the coaching, I'm just going to work on the infrastructure of my business, the marketing of my business, those, those things that are less intuitive to most technicians, most people who have started their businesses. And, mm -hmm. that's, and that's something that I, I, I love to walk people through and show them that 
being busy and cutting new contracts isn't always the most profitable use of your time, although that seems a bit odd. It is, it's, it's true. And so I have done that with my risk mitigation wiring forever and ever. Well, and that's, you know, it's an interesting and an important point for the listeners. Um, just gonna, I'm backtracking a little bit to something you said earlier, Don, sure. is that this journey for you, that did not happen overnight. Oh, good. Where you all of a sudden accumulated millions of dollars worth of real estate. You went back to school. You went to pay attention. You worked on yourself. You learned from other people who were willing to mentor you, you know, from afar or not, to share their expertise. So you went on this journey to really develop yourself to be an expert in this space, and that didn't happen in one weekend seminar. Oh, absolutely not. I, you know, I spent a lot of money on <laughs> the foundation of my thought process, the foundation of my business, the found, just the foundation of this whole thing. Um, I, I learned some of the – I watched mistakes being made in some of these industries, and, and, and I'm going, that to me, because of my extrapolation-wired um, brain – that to me that you're about to do seems to me that the unintended consequences are going to be quite negative. Mm. But, you know, who was I? I wasn't, they weren't asking me for advice, so I would just watch it happen. And I go, okay, good. So my wiring is correct. So that's great. Keep checking your wiring. Always keep checking your, your belief systems. That's something that I do continually. Um, what do you mean by that, Don? Keep checking your belief systems. Because uh, part part of uh, part of entrepreneurs is not only learning what to do, but also what not to do, and so, the fact that things change. Hey, you know that's that's something that unfortunately a lot of entrepreneurs, i.e., and I and and it, it's really easy to use this example. But during it, I was using this example, just like video store owners. So many hmm. of them did not see it coming. Did not see, oh, this whole uh, streaming, the, the, the whole transition away from driving to the store, giving, giving, uh, paying two bucks because you didn't rewind it. Um, that was a great industry for a long time, but the signs were there that it was about to change. And mm. um, uh, it's like any industry, realtors, mortgage brokers, you know, uh, AI is going to kick your butt eventually. Um, and, and I know there's going to be fighting and arguing around it and, and, and commissions uh, set to say, how do we stop this from happening? But it is inevitable. People uh, uh, are just going to go on their phone and go, I'll take this. And we're already starting to see it. People are buying real estate through their phone, never seeing it, being able to e-sign documents. Um, mm. and, and the great realtors will adapt. And the, the below-average realtors who think they're great realtors will go, 10 years from now, what just happened? Uh, you know, what mm -hmm. happened? I can't, I can't have that Cadillac anymore. And uh, mortgage brokers, the same. I think that industries, there are industries that are changing that people are holding on for dear life, um, the, 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 holding on to the old ways. So... To, to answer the question that I completely forgot. <laughs> well, about you were talking about what uh, realtors, or not realtors, what entrepreneurs do or don't do mm -hmm. in belief systems you were talking about. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. That's, that's what matters. And you cannot, you cannot have that thought, thought process if you're not forcing yourself to work on your business. And Don, yes, I know it's, it's trite. Yes, yes, yes. But it's stopping and thinking, okay, I'm going to pay, start paying attention. And part of my habit that has protected me through all these years of change in real estate markets and economies and interest rates, et cetera, is every single morning I go and I go and see what's happening in the world. Um, I go, uh, now I can do it online, which is great. Um, I still love the smell and feel of newspapers, but uh, which I, I, I read a lot of. But I go on and I just kind of look at what's happening and how is this going to affect me? Mm, probably not. Oh, this one here probably has some potential. How is this going to affect my family or my real estate or my farms? Um, I'll, keep a, I'll keep an eye on that. 
And it's just every, intentionally every morning, just looking around and mm. being aware. And by doing so, I also force myself to look at a lot of things that I don't agree with. Um, so if I'm, uh, if I believe that the housing market is going to crash, I will also read the opposite. I will also read the arguments around why it's not going to. If I believe that my business, my industry, growing hops, like a friend's, uh, a friend's business, uh, the growing hops, is this a real industry? Is it a fad? Is it a, you know, and no matter what my belief is, I will also always, always read the other side. And um, because they're as vehemently strong and in their belief system as I am in mine. So there must be something of some, you know, some nugget in there that may help me make keep uh, uh, attention on my uh, my world. Well, your 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 uh, your title Don has analyst in it, so you're really talking about, you know, how um, being an analyst doesn't happen by accident. You're being intentional. You're also asking the listeners or sharing with the listeners. You're paying attention, and a lot of people don't really pay attention. So. You know, I appreciate that. Where this this is not by accident. You you don't come by your information just because you just decided to spew off an opinion. You actually looked at the data. You looked at the trends. You looked at what was happening. Versus everybody in social media has opinion. Very few people have wisdom. Well, it's interesting. That's that's a very good way to put it. It's opinion versus wisdom. But the on social media, it's even worse because we tend to, as human beings, follow people who we agree with or we like, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, uh, whatever. And therefore, our opinions become stronger because we believe that everybody's got that opinion or a lot of people have that opinion. It's, the fact is that if you live in, a, in your own silo, especially now with social media, you can really get caught up in the whole heuristics, the whole belief um, so that See, all of these people on my feed believe that X is Y. So X must equal Y. I, I was right, darn it. And if you mm. don't forcibly get out of there, um, you're going to end up like the video store. Blockbuster guy came out. The, I think it was the CEO president. I've got the quote on one of my PowerPoints. And it says, we are in the perfect position right now to take advantage of the change to digital. And... You can actually I then follow the next slide with a graph that shows um, the volume of revenue in Blockbuster. They had the lead. They had the relationships with the um, providers, the movie makers, the movie distributors. They had everything to become Netflix, and they just let it go because they mm. believed their model was the, the one that's going to survive. Well, if you think about what you're talking about, it's really the the Uber of business, where people are mitigators and they bring together technology to bring the parties together, whatever that might be, as you talked about. And, and, and like any startup, guess what? Uber's having some problems, but they are breaking through. They've, they've changed the conversation. And that's something in whew, a long, long time ago, um, and, and especially starting in 2001, I made a very clear goal. I said, we have to change the conversation around real estate in Canada because this get-rich-quick garbage that was being touted at that point was garbage, and people were losing lots of money, and that was hurting a lot of families. And so our underlying goal on everything we did is we have to change the conversation. No one was talking economics. No one was talking demographics, um, you know, demand. Everyone was talking about, you know what, screw over the seller, and, and then right before closing, try and get it, shave off another couple grand, and you can make money in real estate too. And I'm going, this is insane. This is the, the mm -hmm. worst way of running a business, is you only win if you screw over some other people. And, and now you're starting to hear people talking finally about economics and the demographics, and you know, there, there are ways in which to read the housing market. So that goal has been completed. Who knows what the next goal is? But say with Uber, um, Uber... And I'm not correlating myself to Uber. I think the Uber model makes complete sense. And, um, but it needs some infrastructure and, and, uh, and a little bit of 
um, better press, I think would be a good idea because I've used mm-hmm. Uber and it's awesome. Well, and we've, uh, we have friends who use it as well and we've traveled to Chicago and used it in New York and uh, just talk about a convenience. You even have right on your phone, I mean, mobile is where it's at, even on your phone, uh, right away you know where that driver is. So uh, you would never have that in a taxi company. You know who he or she is. You can follow their map. You can see exactly what kind of car it is. You can see the license plate number. They drive up. You hop in. They know where they're going. They've already, you already know what it's going to cost because they've told you. You get out and you go, hey, cheers, thanks. And they go, thank you. And you can tip them and rate them. See, this is the kind of stuff with, with mortgages, etc., that are going to start to happen. You're going to know where on the paradigm, because once you, it goes into a black box, right? You, you do your application, and it goes into the black box. And mm-hmm. this magic black box uh, that each bank and each mortgage broker has um, does its thing. You really don't know what's kind of really going on in the background. You don't know where it is on the list. Uh, are, is there, uh, am I five days away? Am I two days away? Eventually, what you're going to see is this whole, um, this whole arch of, from application to approval show up on your phone to show you exactly where it is and what might be the triggers. Um, I, I think it's was it Quicken Loans that's starting to really uh, do a lot in the U.S. around mortgages, and they're trying um, to crack that code. If Quicken right. gets behind it, you know there's going to be some major industrial change in that industry. Well, somebody's going to break through in that model. It's interesting how, you know, we're going through this right now. Uh, I won't go into the details, but just how uh, controlling institutions are in once, and it's sort of like the institution, the taxi companies, they're trying to fight, you know, we've paid these licenses and hang on. They're not getting it. It's sort of like, as you said, blockbuster. We're trying to protect the VHS. And that's the same thing when you see from the money uh, lenders is that when that's released, uh, I mean, you're an investor as well for other people. You can actually be in on the mix and not be part of a formal institution when it's all said and done. Yeah, you'll start to see a lot more community lending. You'll, you'll start to see projects that have been rejected by other um, institutions be funded through community, community funds. And um, it, it really kind of... Uh, As a matter of fact, I think that we haven't even seen the the breakthrough idea yet. I think it's coming. I think the Uber of a lot of these industries is going to show up. And and you know why I say that is because 27% of the population in Canada are baby boomers. That would be very similar to the U.S. as well, right? Yeah, it is very similar. Yeah, I think it's it's in that same ballpark. It's easy ratios, right? So. You know, uh, we're getting older. We did all of our protesting. We did all of our wearing of the beards. We did all of the, the ironic T-shirts. We did all of that stuff that we're seeing now with the millennials. It's exactly the same. Uh, 27% of the population in Canada are also millennials. So it's, just think of how the world changed as that giant cohort of baby boomers went through it, the economy and industry and uh, and, and, mm-hmm. and the protests and the, you know, the man's bad, corporations are bad, you know, all those things that we did back when we were uh, back in the days um, mm-hmm. are, are, are rearing their heads again. So what we can start to extrapolate is how is that going to play out? But nobody figured out that the, that the baby boomers were going to invent the throwaway diapers. And that changed the diaper industry. No one, uh, TV dinners started to show up. And, you know, those, those things that aren't on anybody's radar, and then they come on the radar, and then they're the, the biggest thing since sliced bread, no pun intended. Um, so the millennials are going to be doing that. And we're going to be standing back as the baby boomers going, what the heck are they talking about? That makes no sense. And, and, and it's going to change the world. So get ready. Don't be fearful of it. Oh, goodness. Uh, embrace oh, just it. be aware. Just be aware. Now, I want to go back, Don, because, I mean, I love this conversation about what's possible, but one of the things you said in the very beginning of the show is, and I just want to leave some nuggets for our listeners, is that you said excuses for not investing. So 
Um, let's just flip that into a more generic term. You, you started the Real Estate Investment Network. What year did you start that? I think, that, I think it's in its 25th year. And the, the gentleman who talked me into moving into Vancouver from Abbotsford, um, he was the official starter. It was out of a success in action. Here's an interesting entrepreneurial accident. So we had, uh, we had been running a group uh, called Success in Action. And um, it was just getting entrepreneurs together in a boardroom, um, no smartphones or anything back then, and um, 25 years ago, 26 years ago, I guess. And, um, and you know, there'd be little subgroups that would get together and support each other as we were on our entrepreneurial journeys. And, and, but inevitably, we noticed that the conversation always went uh, to real estate. So the entrepreneurial accident uh, that, that he had said, well, maybe we should start a success in real estate group out of the success in action, keep success, success in action going, but really have a, a focus on real estate. And that's when the entrepreneurial accident exploded. And what I learned from that is be aware. Be aware of what your clients are talking about. Be aware of what, they're, what they, they may love you, but they also may love other things. So are there are other things that you can bolt on to mm -hmm. your business, and you only notice this if you're working on your business, not in your business, um, uh, you bolt on to your business that could prove to be the thing, the thing that all of your clients go, wow, how come I never thought of this? Or thank you so much for this. This is a great thing that I'm looking for. And so 25 years ago now, um, it, uh, it started to take off, and it was one of those things that just gained momentum because we were, we were doing very well at not BSing people, doing very well at extrapolating um, if this happens, then that can happen. If you buy in this town because of this demographic, then you should do it. Hey, let's, let's build a community around this. Let's build a, uh, um, uh, almost like a lifestyle around investing in real estate. And let's start cracking the code. And then in two. 2004 or 2003 um, it, it was now I now it was just me running it and owning it um, and uh, 2003 when John Wiley and Sons uh, the big international publisher sent right. me a note and said hey we've been checking out a lot of real estate guys in Canada and you're the guy that has the credibility and the and the um, legitimacy that we'd like to get behind because you got to remember who we are. We do textbooks, etc. So we want to make sure we tie our wagon to the right horse. And I went, me? Because I was so in it, right? I was so just being and doing what we were doing that um, and not giving a rats about comp the competition, etc. We want to do what we're doing um, that obviously we had hit the radar. And I said, no, I don't have a year to write a book. It's not going to happen. And they kept coming back like four times. And the guy, gentleman's name was Don Loney. I still remember it. And uh, finally I said, oh, I got a really creative way of, of telling them no because I'll know they'll never do this. And I went back and I said, okay, I will write a book. Uh, Real Estate Investing in Canada will be the name. And, uh, and, but only if 100% of all the royalties go directly to Habitat for Humanity. And it says that on the book and the Habitat logos on the book, et cetera, et cetera. I thought, yeah, no problem. They're never going to do that. And they uh, came back six days. Yeah, it was six days later and uh, said, deal. And I went, oh, Careful what you say, right, Don? Oh, crap. Now i got to write a book. In the midst of being the entrepreneur working in my business and on my business, and, um, and I never looked back from then. That was... That was a lot of work, but it still hits bestseller, you know, once a month. Uh, it's still, it, it, it's been a remarkable journey. Um, now we're up to eight books. Every one of them has been hit the bestseller mark, um, and all the money keeps going to Habitat for Humanity. So thank you, Don, for that. So let's just back up for a second. You slipped yeah. that in just quietly. What's the story about Habitat for Humanity and you willing to donate, you know, almost, you know, over $1.2 million in royalties to this cause? What, what was, 
What was motivating you to do that? Where'd that come from? Well, I've always been a fan of Habitat for Humanity because it's, uh, and now each city and each town is run on its own. Let's be fair. There are some really good Habitat for Humanity um, groups and some really average ones. So be careful. Not all of them are great. So just, I'm just giving you that heads up. Um, But uh, the, I thought, you know what, part of, part of my growing up and part of my training as a kid was you give back. But I didn't want to give back to some place, and I'm not going to name them because it becomes really obvious, uh, where I give money and 20 or 40 or 60% of it goes to admin. Or, or 80 or 90. Oh, don't me. even get me going. I, that just makes my stomach churn. Anyway, um, yeah. and, and so what happens, of course, is that, that so I found Habitat for Humanity. I loved Habitat for Humanity. I like what they do. They give a hand up, not a hand out. People actually have to, when they move in, they actually pay a mortgage, although it's small. They pay a mortgage. There's responsibility involved. They have to put hours in. And so I had, uh, had a deal. Set that, so I said, the deal I set with Habitat is that 100% of all of our money goes directly to builds. It's not for marketing for more donations. It's not for paying fundraisers or any of that kind of stuff. It's got to go right to builds. And um, it's a hand up. It's not a handout because I'm not a big fan of handout because it doesn't provide dignity. Um, the, other, the other charity we support is Quest Food Exchange. You can Google it. And it's the same thing. It provides dignity to those on social services it, um, through food, not a food bank. Um, so it's, uh, that's, that's the relationship started. And uh, the one we chose after lots of due diligence around need and ability and quality of people running it, we chose um, Edmonton, although I was no longer living in Edmonton. And um, that was a game changer. They have now built the, the two largest uh, habitat builds in, in Canada. They have uh, continued to provide fantastic housing uh, and fa- fantastic volunteer opportunities. They just had the Jimmy Carter build in Edmonton. I think it was Newfeld Landing. Um, it is remarkable what they've done, been able to do with that money. And here's the cool thing, Ken. It's not a charity that spends the money because here's how it goes. They build a property with the capital that's donated. They put mm-hmm. a mortgage on that property so that the people who are moving in are paying a mortgage fee. And then they take that money and go build another one. And they go build another one. So every dollar that we give, that 1.245 or whatever it is now, um, never goes away. It's not spent. It's just re Invented, reinvested, invested, and, and rolled over. Well, yeah, the interesting thing, what you're talking about there too, is I actually have something to show for what I've given. Well, absolutely, you can drive by the buildings. You know, as a matter of fact, it's funny. It's funny we were talking about this because yesterday I received a uh, a painting from Habitat for Humanity of a family moving into Newfeld Landing in Edmonton, and a, a lovely thank you note and. You know, handwritten thank you notes go a long way with me. I don't need the painting. The thank you note would have been fine. But it's a beautiful reminder that I can walk by any time in Edmonton or any time now in my office and see, look at this. This is really working. This is really having a positive mm. impact on the world. Well, thank you for that. And, you know, you're an example of, of what's possible. If somebody becomes successful that, uh, you know, giving really does... Um, from a self-centered point of view, um, just builds the soul. And getting that note, I'm sure, was significant and, and positive for you. You know, before we end the show, and we just have a few minutes left on, and of sure. course we could go on for on and on, but I think some people are on their drive that are listening to this said, okay, uh, it can't be two hours. But that notwithstanding, <laughs> yeah. we'll, have you back on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll have you back on. Yeah, we'll have you back Well, that's true. We'll have you back on. But one of the things, let's just go back to when we talked about excuses for not investing. Yeah. Let's just, let's just do two sides of the coin. When you think about people's excuses, and you, you know, had thousands of members in the real estate investment network yeah. and other people you've worked with. Now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so when you think about excuses that people have for not acting, not taking action, and, uh, and not something that's sort of um, news-driven. 
What, in your experience, have been the main excuses or reasons that people have not taken action in your experience? And then after that, we'll go back to what you need to do. Generally, the excuse is not the actual reason. Generally, the excuse is a way to justify the not action, which takes us back to the not action, which often is just based in fear. And, and not just fear of, oh my goodness, what could happen, but an intrinsic, like a rewired, pre-wired fear of success. Uh, what's, what are people going to think if I am successful? What are people going to think if I do this and, and win? And the weird bit is, is there's a lot of people who have that in them. Mm. And, and uh, so they'll find excuses not to. They'll, you know, they want to, don't, the, the tall poppy thing, they won't stick their head above the ground. Um, also, uh, the excuses that show up is, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough people, uh, the market's going to collapse, um, I read this thing once, that this is going to, this, this, that bad tenants are, like for real estate, oh, tenants will just drive you crazy. Tenants don't drive me crazy. Um, they pay my mortgage. And, um, and, and, but there are lots of excuses. And my job as a leader, as a coach, as a mentor, whatever you want to call me, is to try and cut through the false excuses, um, use the risk mitigation, because I'm not the guy who runs out and just buys anything and hopes for the best. There's no way that I could, I could live with myself if I do that. So I just walk them through what, those excuse, what their actual excuse is. I don't have any money. Okay, well, here's 73 ways in which we could change that. Let's look a, at your portfolio. Let's look at your life. Let's look at your thing. Let's look at your this. Mm-hmm. I had a lovely conversation um, with a couple who have two kids, and my goal is to move. What was their goal? Is to move to London uh, for two years so that their young kids could get exposed to living in London, Ontario, not London, Ontario, London, UK, and um, and and go to school there, etc. Okay, how much do you need for that? Was my question, and they said how much that number was. And then by the end of the conversation, um, they had had that. They have that money. They just couldn't see it. And it was, it's remarkable the blind spots that we find ourselves having. Mm. And there's so much, Don, we don't have time to go into it today, but there's so much misinformation. And, you know, everybody talks about the new word, fake and false news, that's out there. And that's rampant in the last... Um, you know, year or two. Uh, but, you know, thank you for that. But let's just flip that. Don, if you were to leave, you know, sort of a last tidbit or wisdom for success in life, what are the couple of things that you would say to me, the listener, of me being able to realize my dreams, take action? What are the couple of things that you would, you're coaching me now, what would you say to me? Well, first off, I would ask exactly what, do you know exactly where you want to go? Um, you know, the world and life is about is a lot like Google Maps. That if you don't know exactly where you are, and you don't know exactly where you want to go, like clearly defined, there's not a coach in the world that can get you there. Because if you don't know where you're going, um, Google Maps Maps can't take you there. They're gonna you're gonna go. I want to go west. Well, um, give me something better than that. Um, mm-hmm. So get super clear because then if, you, if it's super clear, and I think it's chapter three in Real Estate Investing in Canada, and I think it might be on my blog as well, um, is, is define why you're doing whatever it is you're doing. You're running your business or you're, um, you're investing in real estate or you're a stock investor. Why is it that you're doing this? What is the ultimate outcome so that it, you, it serves you rather than you serving it? So number one, mm. because if you do that and it's passionate and you believe it and it's about your family or whatever it is, you will cut through a lot of the real bogus excuses. Uh, the, the, the second thing is, is get out of your own way. Um, you are going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. I made a mistake yesterday. I'm going to make a mistake, a mistake tomorrow. Um, but just mitigate the fatality level of those mistakes. By mm-hmm. sitting back and saying, okay, if I pull the string, what's going to happen over, uh, you know, six months from now? What, 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 how can I mitigate those risks? 
rather than say, oh, I don't have any money, and then stop there. It's like, I don't have any money. How do I raise it? Are there options out there? Is there joint venture opportunities? Is there ways in which I have equity? All those different things in your business. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So important is to bring the passion, but not the crazy passion. We've all met those entrepreneurs where all they do is talk and never shoot the puck. And just nothing but create chaos. Oh, they they love the chaos because then they've actually trained their bodies and their minds to solve problems. So when problems start to go away, and this is really bizarre, and I see it every week, and I'm not, it's one of the most bizarre things ever, is they, that these people who are so programmed to solve problems, once problems start to go away, they'll find a way, not consciously, but subconsciously, to create chaos and our problems so that they can solve it and go, da-da-da-da, mm. Superman cape, da-da-da, I've done this again. And um, that's a horrible way to run a business. Um, you know, you, the, the business is supposed to fund your life, not be your life. Like real estate is supposed to fund your life, not be your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's, it exists for you, not to run you. And that's so important because if that's true, you can actually start cutting crap out of your business. Go, you know what? We used to do that all the time. It's relatively unprofitable and takes a lot of time. Let's stop doing this. And then everybody will push back. But Don, that's what you're known for. You, should, you ought to keep doing it. No, I don't. It's my business and it's my life. And I need to focus on the things that are going to serve me rather than me serve them. Mm. I think that's and then so important. start to go away. Well, Don, I, just to affirm that, I was uh, reading an article at, in, on high performance where one of the number one traits of high performers is the ability to say no. Oh, and to uh, disconnect and to and to say no to those things that, as you said, you might be in, been doing it before, but now you're redirecting. Well, we're getting close to the end of the show now, uh, Don, and uh, we'll definitely have to have you come back on because we just got started. But if people want to find out more about what you do or if they want to interview you for their media or their podcast, how might they get a hold of you, Don? Um, if you uh, go to donrcampbell.com. That's my blog, and it's mostly real estate oriented, but some philosophy. Um, You can hit me up on Twitter. That's where I hang out a lot. It's at donrcampbell. Or just email me, don at reincanada.com. And I gladly listen in and help where I can and and do what I can do, because that's that's what I love to do. It's what I'm wired to do. And... um, so Don at RainCanada.com might be the easiest way. Well, Don, I sure appreciate you spending the time with us today. It's been a delight. And as, as I said, we just got started, man. For somebody in grade nine who didn't ran out on their speech, you've really overcome that, have you not? <laughs> sadly, for some people would say sadly, he has, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I encourage everybody, look up Don's um, information. If you have interest in the real estate world in any way or even pondered it then do look up Don because he is uh, really one of the number one if not the number one authority in Canada as far as all the dynamics there and also his group Real Estate Investment Network which I've had the privilege to speak at in the past. Just a friendly reminder to everybody that one of the number one offerings that CRG has is our three-day uh, certification. Now, we've had a hundred different names for it. We used to call it the Success Workshop, but it's three days of going through the core content that has been developed at CRG over nearly four decades. Yes, we will go through all our core assessments, and many people, they think they're coming to learn about the tools, but really in the end, they learn about themselves. As I said in previous shows, Our ability to serve others is equal to or less than our own development. So I just encourage you to consider that October 19 to 21. We'd love to have you join us. It's a very small, intimate group. So make the decision now to to join us because we have limited space and we'd love to have you as far as this two-for-one special as well for CRG certification, October 19, 20, and 21 here at our office just an hour out of Vancouver, British Columbia. Well, I thank you, everybody, for listening. And, Don, thank you again for being on for the show. If you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, let other people know 
about this. And if we've served you in some way, then leave a positive comment if you can. So thank you again for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.